Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That is L-Y-T-E dot com forward slash partnerships. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. This week, the spotlight shines on Scott Register. Reg is head of A&R for Think Indie, the music distribution company founded by the Coalition of Independent Music Stores way back in 1999. He's been an influential force behind Record Store Day and is a tireless advocate for independent music and artists. Reg hosts Birmingham Mountain Radio's weekday morning show, The Morning Blend, and for some 20-odd years, he's also hosted the popular four-hour Sunday morning show, Reg's Coffee House. Reg is an incredible supporter of music, musicians, and a wise student of the business. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Hey! Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> Sorry about that. Somehow you know, my, I don't usually use headphones for these things, and somehow the headphone jack, it wasn't in the jack correctly. I know. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. I'm glad that that was it. It was just something simple. You sound crystal clear. Excellent. I can hear you well. Good. Too. Good. Uh, How you doing? I'm great. I'm doing great. Just uh, staying busy and uh, healthy. And, you know, who a year and a half ago when this whole thing started, it was like, oh, man, what am I going to do for a living? But turns out when you put people in their homes and don't let them do anything, they buy a whole lot of recorded physical music. It's incredible, isn't it? It's really it's, incredible. It's kind of crazy. It really is. Yeah. Well, listen, that 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 actually is a helpful place to kick off because there's two there's sort of two paths I want to cover with you. Um, one is obviously you and your background, and I want to talk to you about your your time as a broadcaster and sort of someone people trust in terms of taste for music. But I I also want to talk a little bit about the state of independent music. Um, okay. From the business point of view, so maybe maybe we could start there and work our way back. Sure. Um, so could you maybe continue on that thread a little bit? What what did you see? What did you see during the pandemic, and what are you seeing coming out of it? Well, you know, I think when it started, it was like everybody else. It was uh, no one knew what the heck was going to happen, what was going on, and it took a, a a few weeks for everything to settle out. And, you know, one of the first things we had to deal with was we knew that Record Store Day wasn't going to happen on Record Store Day in April. So we had to deal with figuring out what we were going to do with records today and what we we're going to do with the product that we already had sitting in the warehouse and what we we're going to do with product that we knew wasn't going to be ready. Um, so that, that was one of the first things we, we dealt with along with the, the group over at record store day. And, you know, we ended up making it multiple days over the summer and ended up actually working out quite well when it was all said and done. Um, we had to bump titles here and there because they couldn't get them ready in time because of, production issues but you know it, it wasn't near as hectic as i had thought it was going to be um you know we had everybody just kind of put the brakes on so that was one of the toughest things to deal with and a lot of people you know one of one of widespread panics one of my uh clients and and they were like we can't wait three four months to put out this box set that uh we were going to put out on record store day so we went ahead and did it on the date anyway and 
uh, it ended up being, you know, we ended up selling them and it was it ended up being something good for my warehouse to be able to work on when, when everybody was figuring out everything. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't blame the industry for slowing down production of catalog and stuff. Cause who knew what was going to happen, yeah. you know, but again, you fast forward a year, year and a half. And it's like, wow, people really rallied around recorded music around physical product. You know, I can look as far as my, uh, my den in my house, my two sons, my 20 year old and 17 year old son at the time, they suddenly were like, Hey, we want a turntable. Hey, we want vinyl and sat around listening to all kinds of music together. And now they both have turntables and vinyl off at college. Yeah. I was helping my 18 year old move, move in. Um, and they, uh, uh, when we were moving his turntable in, people were just oohing and eyeing, you know, parents and kids, which was hilarious to watch because it's like, where, where did you get that? Where do we, where do we get one of those? Uh, you know, it was, it was people, kids still listen to that. It's like, yes, kids still listen to that. You, uh, you have totally missed out on what's been going on the last few years. Yeah, they, the thing is, they're all like, that's awesome. You know, no one's like, Oh, that's weird. Why would they do that? Everybody's just like, that's amazing. So um, it was, I think a lot of people who hadn't quite gotten into it did get into it. And I mean, now, heck, we can't get it made fast enough. You know, that's one of my buddies owns a plant over in Athens. And we were talking, he's like, you know, in March of 2020, I was everybody's best friend. I, uh, I, was, baskets and- <laughs> like, I, I um you know I, I didn't know what I was going to do with my with the plant I didn't know if we'd be around you know I was trying to figure the whole thing out and then fast forward a year and it's like everybody hates me I bought the building and we have jobs lined up for months on top of months so you know I don't think again no one knew what was going to happen and then no one could have foreseen the supply chain breaks. It took a little longer to catch up with us, I think, than it did some of the other industries, but it caught up and it's yeah. definitely caught up now. I mean, I'm putting stuff out right now that I was supposed to put out almost a year ago. So yeah. everything from PVC pellets for colored vinyl to uh, running out of cardboard and not being able to make sleeves. So, you know, I, I quit saying I can't believe this many months ago because if it can happen it just might happen <laughs> yeah well i remember there you know of course there, there were vinyl capacity issues and a lot of angst around vinyl capacity even pre-pandemic so do you think what what we're going through now were we going to be here anyway and the pan or is the pandemic like to your point like even secondary things like the raw material that wasn't the problem before and- I think stuff like that chemicals and raw materials that definitely i don't think would have gotten here as quickly, I mean, you know, or they would have been able to fix it quickly, more, more quickly than they can at the moment, because it's, it's a trickle down effect. You know, if one thing's missing, then that messes up other things. And, and it's, uh, it's definitely makes things a little more, uh, more difficult, but you know, from everybody I talked to, things were going so well, people were adding presses where they could, new plants were were opening up. Um, you know, it, I feel like now, like I did back in the mid 2000s when the demand was there, but there wasn't enough capacity to fill it because there weren't enough plants. Well, now I feel like there's a good amount of plants, 
but the capacity, I mean, the uh, demand shot up faster than capacity could keep up with combined with the supply chain breaks and with shipping problems. You know, I got stuff riding around on trucks for weeks. I got stuff sitting in Amazon warehouses for, for, I mean, uh, FedEx warehouses for weeks. It's, it's, you know, stuff sitting across town in a, in a FedEx warehouse. And it's like, uh, you know, when's this going to show up at my, we're, we're 10 minutes away from you. When's this going to show up in my door? Yeah. So it, yeah. it messes with street dates It messes with shipping. And, but, but it's like I've been telling everybody, it's like, it could be worse. There could be nothing sitting in that warehouse and nothing sitting in our warehouse and us going, what are we going to sell? And what are we going to do? I mean, it stinks, but at least people want it. And if they really want it, they'll be patient and they'll get it when we can get it to them. And that's, that's, the bottom line and, and and there's still plenty of stuff out there it's not like there's nothing to be bought um i just know you know people want new stuff and we're getting it out as fast as we can that's that's the best we can do i mean we in a perfect world we wouldn't have all this stuff but we're dealing with it and it, everybody just needs to do you think it's a headache not being able to buy it you should see how big a headache it is trying to make it and ship it and get it out <laughs> you know yeah. Yeah. if we can be cool with it the consumer can be cool with it that's the yeah. way i look at it yeah, I've had a year and a half of the same thing of, of 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 projects that have been impacted by it on the recorded music side. You know, we had a we had a Keith piece for Record Store Day that mm -hmm. wound up coming out in the summer. Right. Um, we had a box set at the beginning of the pandemic that hit supply chain and manufacturing issues. We had one now that <laughs> that, that we're knee deep in that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, I, yep. the, the interesting thing hearing from you though on this is that um, you seem. I, I, I'm sort of, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interpreting this a little bit, but it feels like you're a little bit on the other side of it in terms of like, I expected you to be a bit more freaked out and like, <laughs> well, I'd love to be freaked out, but we're too busy to be freaked out. I mean, there's still stuff going out. I mean, yeah, I've got a backlog of stuff I need to get into the warehouse and get shipped out, but it's coming. I just don't necessarily know when, but it's coming. And, you know, what we do is we get it out as we, as we get it. And then if it doesn't get here, we bump street dates. That's just all you can do. But there's not a, it's not like my warehouse is just quiet back there and everybody's sitting around. I mean, we just finished up record store day, black Friday, and it was all hands on deck. I mean, if anything, getting people to work in the warehouse has been harder than, than getting the product in there. So that was, that's, you know, so you're seeing what, that too. You're having I, that same I was in the back for three weeks, pulling orders, you know, and I know that's not what my, my, bosses want me to be doing but that was the most important thing to be done at the time and we needed hands so even my gm was in the back bo packing boxes yeah yeah uh, everybody you humble but it, it, it also <laughs> it also shows the entire team that this is what we do at the end of the day this is what we do and right. we no one's above doing it you, you, our job the way we make money is getting these records to these stores. And if it takes all of us back there, pick pack and shipping, then that's what happens. I and mean, yeah, there's no, there's no ego involved. We, we love what we do. There's a reason why we're here. It, 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 you know, nobody's getting super rich off of distribution, especially indie distribution. It's about <laughs> connecting these artists to fans and keeping the indie record stores alive. And that's what we do. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, I've been doing it for 22 years and the mission has never changed. Yeah. Um, you know? And so, it, as a, if anything, you try to make it fun. It's like, how many of these orders can I pull in an hour? You know? And, and, and uh, the other thing that came about keeping an eye on the positive 
it, during COVID is all the stores who had drugged their feet about selling online and having D2C through their stores, they all were forced to be better stores and to up their game. And the people who are already doing it, like I have a store here in Birmingham, a friend of mine, Dan over at Seasick Records, they were already a great online store. You know, they do great business, you know, brick and mortar business, but he had already perfected the online and he had to work 10 times harder because he was, all he was doing was shipping out products, but he was filling up mail trucks on a daily basis, you know, because people wanted the product. And so you had to pivot um, and see in some of these stores who hadn't done much online be forced to do it. And then to see how good it could be for their store. That was something that, you know, it took a pandemic to make it happen, but now it, most of the stores that I deal with have uh, figured that out and are, are growing their online presence and, and selling not just in their community, but all over the place to people who want what they have. Let me ask you about that. Were, were the stores, um, what was their hesitation? Were they skeptical that there was a place for them in the world of Amazons or was it just, I didn't get into this to have a website. I want to have my shop. Like, what? I think it was a little bit of everything. I think yeah. it just depended on the store owner and who you talk to. You know, some people that just not wasn't their thing. And you know, some of the older store owners that just, you know, that's not where they, they lived. Um, it, it, I, I wouldn't say there was one overriding key to it all. I think it was just a combination of, you know, depending on a, on a store's preference. But when you're forced to, when suddenly you can't have people in your store and you're forced to do it, you see how important it is. I would never say easy. It's not easy. D2C is a lot of work. Um, but if you want to, you know, I've, I've likened us to, to, to cockroaches since the day I started working in indie retail. We are nimble. We do what we have to do to survive. And, we, this is what we do. You know, a, a store owner once said, it's, it's, I sell records or I'm going to be selling shoes and I don't want to sell shoes. I want to sell records. So. <laughs> well, let me just ask you a couple, a couple of other questions in terms of the, um, like where the business is and where it's going. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like now we're well into a decade of sort of, in air quotes, the return of vinyl or the vinyl resurgence. The fad. Yeah, the fad, exactly. And the longest fad I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so what are some of the better minds in, especially indie retail and at the indie label level, thinking about the trajectory from here? It seems like everything that comes along is just additive to the resurgence. Like there's been very few setbacks, even here in the supply chain and the manufacturing issues. It's like this thing just keeps plowing Still forward, going getting up. bigger. Yeah. What's, where, where do we go now? That's a great question. Cause I think back to 2004, 2005, when you know, we were seeing 10 and 15% of overall sales being new vinyl and used vinyl. Yeah, vinyl was an event. Like if somebody yeah. did vinyl, it was a exactly. big deal. It's like, wow, you got vinyl. Amazing. Or it was a promo piece. Yeah. We made 200 pieces of vinyl just to give out to our friends and to fans. Um, so I'd go to, to conventions and, you know, mostly radio conventions, some retail conventions, the retail conventions, they already knew about it, but you go to a radio convention and people will be like, well, you know, what's going on in the world of retail? And I'd be like, well, believe it or not, 
vinyl is uh, resurgent. We're having a vinyl resurgent, and there'll be laughter. You know, you would hear people laugh around the room and be like, no, seriously, you know, 15% of overall sales last year were new vinyl, and we can't get turntables in fast enough, and they, you know, they're blowing out the door. But no one, you could tell the skepticism. There would be a few people who were interested, but everybody else like, whatever, That next year he won't be talking about it. Well, then I'd go back the next year and say, hey, uh, 20% last year. And then you'd hear less laughter. And then another year go by and be like, 30%, you'd hear less laughter. And then eventually, you know, and even at retail, you, you, when you talk to the stores, you'd hear about it. But when you're talking to the labels or the big distros, they'd look at their numbers and be like, y'all are crazy. There's, you know, the life of sales on vinyl for this album's not, you know, they just didn't seem to be taking it seriously, but the, the indie retailers and some of the folks at the, at the labels and the distributors, they, they saw what was happening uh, and they weren't willing to dismiss it as a fad. I, I laugh when I hear the word fad these days, it's like how many fads last almost 20 years? You know, that's not a fad, that's a movement. And the movement is still going strong all you have to do is look at last Friday for record store day, black Friday and to see how much was sold and to see how excited people get about these special editions and limited edition pieces. But then, you know, then you, you want to go to the opposite end. You, you look at all the stories that broke about Adele and Ed Sheeran and, you know, the, the, the amount of vinyl they pressed. Do you think that, Adele's team would press up that much vinyl if they thought it was a fad. That's right. That's right. The biggest mainstream don't. artists on the planet are, you know, that, that's, that's the piece to your point. That's the piece of that story. Everybody's missing is like, if the largest artists are doing it at that scale, that's kind of hard to dismiss as a niche. Yeah. yeah. It's not a niche when they're, when they're locking up all the pressing plants so they can make their half a million pieces of vinyl. It's not a niche. I mean, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's not like we're looking at what CDs were doing in the, late eighties, early, early nineties into the early two thousands. I and mean, that's, that was crazy. You know, I don't know that that'll ever happen again, but I can't stand when I hear people say, Oh, this final thing is, you know, you should ignore it. It's stupid. It's, it's not real. It's how can you look at what's going on and say, it's not real. You could I mean, almost I, imagine a world where an Adele or somebody like that, if they focused on it, might be able to ship platinum and vinyl. It's possible. If the record's good enough. People want it. You know, I don't ever say no about it. the one thing that, that in my, my short 22 years in this business I've, I've taken away is never, never say never. I mean, there's always weird things happen in the music business. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I again, I love seeing people get excited about physical product, whether it's an LP or a CD or a cassette or whatever it is. You know, we sold a bunch of cassettes. For I was going to say, you had to say cassette. So. What's I, the deal with that? <laughs> I, I, it's too, it's too early for me to. I just don't know. I, I, I'm afraid I to call I it just, a fad. <laughs> I'm, exactly. That's what, that's what I was gonna say. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, I'm afraid to call it a fad because the next thing you know, we'll be doing this ten years from now. Going, hey, did you see that Adele made? <laughs> yeah. Adele uh, 40 is going to go platinum on cassette. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, but you know, and the people are like, well, you know, they're just getting them as collectibles. And like, then why can't we keep boom boxes in stock in the stores? You know, the vintage boom boxes. And now you see 
when you see a Sony putting out a boombox that looks like a vintage boombox, it's got all the bells and whistles of the new stuff, but it looks like a, it's got Bluetooth, but it still looks like what you saw people carrying on their shoulders back in the eighties. It's like, there's something going on. I don't know what it is. I'm not willing to put my, my, my money on it just yet. But at the same time, we have been already putting our money on it and, and it, it it's happening. You know, I just sold a whole bunch of, Avet Brothers emotionalism and uh, J.D. McPherson socks Christmas album on, on cassette, you know, and uh, it's it's just, hey, it's, it's fun. At the end of the day, it's it's fun to see this happening, you know. Uh, yeah. I used to, I remember when I told my grandfather who, that I was going to work in, in this industry, he thought I had lost my mind. I mean, he was a, he was a, a work for the, for the, uh, uh, IRS and was a, a numbers guy. And, and, you know, he's like, just what is wrong with you? You'll be, you'll be looking for a new job soon. Say, no, that this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, immediately, Hey, what are you going to do when indie retail goes under because of at the time it was Napster and then, Hey, what are you going to do when indie retail goes under because the big boxes, Hey, what are you going to do when indie retail goes under because of, of downloading I and mean, because of, uh, of, uh, uh, download stores. Hey, what are you going to do when streaming kills independent retail? Well, guess what? It's been 22 years for me and a lot longer for a lot of the guys I work with and we're still here. And the only one of the other things that's really doing a ton with music is streaming. And I contend that streaming at the end of the day, people still, fans still want to own physical. So if they fall in love with something they're streaming, they're going to go get it. They just basically have a listening station in their pocket all the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's no different than walking in the store and putting on headphones and checking out a CD back in the day and going, I want to buy this one. Uh, this, is not, this is not as good as I thought it was. I'm not going to get it. So, you know, I mean, I, again, daily I get texts from my kids going, hey, can you get this? You know, it's, you know, they want the vinyl of this album. They want the vinyl of that album. And it's, it's goes back to, in my, in my opinion, it goes back to community. They like that their friends come into their dorm room and see their vinyl crates and start flipping through it and going, Hey, what's this? Hey, what's this? It's a status symbol. You know, yeah. um, I had my, my kid plays soccer uh, at college and one of his teammates, parents came up to me a game and they're like, my kid's discovering all kinds of new music that I love through your kid because he's listening to the, a lot of the stuff that obviously you love. And my kid has no idea who that stuff is. And he's never been interested in what I'm listening to, but he's interested in it now because your kid listens to it. And I'm like, awesome. That's how we do this. That's, yeah. that's how it works. That's community, how it works. community sharing and, and growing and new fans. I took several of his teammates to a My Morning Jacket show a couple of weeks ago and they were just happy as could be. And we did a Manchester orchestra show and it's like, you know, I'm 52, my kid's 18. That's, that's what is why, that's how I ended up in this business. You know, my mom, when she, I was a sponge when she was listening to stuff, I was soaking myself up with it and falling in love with music. And I don't think she even knew it at the time. Yeah. You know, so it's really fun to do that with kids. Though. I appreciate you telling me that because I, I have very similar experience. My, my son is 16 and um, music is something we do a lot together. You know, just last weekend, I took him to Austin to see his first Stone show. Nice. And um, our first show coming out of the pandemic 
um, was his idea to go to. It was uh, Herbie Hancock at the Paramount oh, wow. Theater. Cool. And like the fact that, yeah, the fact that my kid wanted to go see Herbie Hancock um, and, uh, it, and it was phenomenal. And I'm sure it was. Um, we go to a lot of shows together. He turns me on the music. We, we discover music together. But, um, but the other thing that's interesting about um, young people and, and vinyl is something you said earlier on when you were taking your son to school, which is um, we forget because we're so close to it. But when, you, when you're out in the wild and vinyl comes up or turntables come up and you talk to people who aren't in the industry, they are so excited about it. Like they're, mm-hmm. I, that, that to me is what the indicator of how much uh, green field is still left in this sort of revival is that there's lot. so many people that don't even realize that vinyl's back and available that if they did know. Holy shit. I, th- I, I, I would argue that we're, we're still so much closer to the beginning. I hear, are you kidding me? And is that a turntable? And is that an album? So much. It's just like, yeah, you didn't know this is, this is the way of the world right now for music lovers. There's a lot of music lovers. This is where they reside. You know, it's not, you know, my kids stream like crazy, but they see the difference in streaming their favorite Mac Miller album and owning their favorite Mac Miller album. They see that they, recognize that and it's again it comes down to fandom if you're a fan if you're really a fan you're gonna own all you can from that artist if you're a casual fan maybe not so but if you're a fan you know you're gonna it's not good enough to just be able to stream it on your phone or in your car you you want to be able to pull out that that vinyl and be like you know, pull out the, the special colored version. Uh, you know, My Morning Jacket just announced that they're putting Okanos back out on vinyl and there's all these different variants and my kid's head is exploding. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, I, I guess one, the other question I had on this topic before we, we start to, to dig into the man is uh, do you think that there's a segment of the business that, wanted or wants physical to go away just because it's more complicated than digital is that has that notion or is that i mean i know being in that's always that notion's always been around there's all you know is it cheaper and easier to stream all the music and not have any physical sure it is you know it will some people get out of it probably you know but will there always be somebody that sees the value in it i'd say definitely and you know I know a group of hundreds and hundreds of independent record store that stores that, that definitely see the value in it and aren't going anywhere, you know, and there's new stores opening every day and there's young people opening up stores now because they got into the culture. And it's, I think it's foolish to say that there'll be a day when there's no physical product. It's just, you know, when they re- release digital books, you heard, Oh, no one's going to want to read a No, people still want to hold a book in their hands and still want to smell the, the print and the, the, the paper. Um, will, will the numbers ever be crazy like they were before all this technology? You know, probably not, but they've adjusted themselves to where you can still make a living and it still matters and you still need to have it. You know, when your fans are leaving a show, they want to buy something from you. They don't want to leave without music. You know, they want to be able to, to, to take a part of it home with them. Um, and, you know, 
you see it in the stores every day. You know, people come in there because they, they, it's, it's the culture they live in. It's a part of their daily life. But yeah, to answer your question, sure, there's people in this business that would love to not have to worry about shipping 10,000 pieces of vinyl and having thousands of them be damaged because somebody at a shipping company stacked a, something heavy on top of something that says do not stack. You know, I mean, I see it every day. That's one of the things that drives me the most crazy is, is how hard it is to, to ship vinyl without it getting damaged because yeah. there's a bunch of people who don't either don't get it or don't care, you know, in the, in the, in the chain, you know, Oh, Hey, we just nicked the side of that pallet with a, with a, a lift. Oh, well, <laughs> You know, I find it heartbreaking too. There's this weird, like visceral reaction. I'm like, oh, you can't. I get sick to my stomach some days. Sick to my stomach some days. How could you even, how could you bring that to our door? I would be ashamed to bring that to our door. Yeah. And you're, and knowing how precious the, the, mm-hmm. the, the commodity is that it can't like, Oh, I can't just go get 500 more to replace that box. Oh, like, when something's limited edition and they oh. only made a thousand of them and 600 of them, or have corner bins. It's like, okay, well, we, we can re repackage 600, which is not very cost effective, but you, you end up having to do it because you can't get it anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a, it's not a perfect system. I don't think there's any way to make it a perfect system, but as long as there's demand for it, why would you not fill that demand? And I think we've seen after going on 20 years of it and it's still growing at an exponential clip, demand doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Cause again, this is a movement and a culture, not a fad. Yeah. Fads well, don't last two decades. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Um, can you explain for listeners and actually I'll be the proxy because it would be helpful <laughs> for me. What is your gig? well i can tell you this my wife and my kids don't understand it so um no i came out of journalism school in the early 90s went to work for a pr marketing firm ended up doing pr and marketing for a big music festival at the time when there weren't a ton of music festivals around there was a very large 17 block city festival here in birmingham alabama that i ended up working on radio promotions and programming for called city stages and through that met a lot of people you know started working with the radio stations met a guy named dave rossi who was a program director here in town talking music with him he's like man you know a lot about the triple a music that uh he had come from a triple a station to an alternative station he's like you know i want to do a show that's triple a oriented and new music show and you know stuff that people might not know about that maybe not be new but it's new to them it's like, you want to be interested in a show? Yeah, whatever, man. You know, it sounds fun. I thought he wanted me to program a show, but he actually wanted me to do a show. And I started that show in January, 25 years in January, January 1997. Regis Coffee House started the third Sunday of that month. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea where I was going. He gave me a producer for six weeks and said, if you can't do it after six weeks, show's over. So I'm sitting there going, well, I guess it's going to be a six-week show. <laughs> and uh, fast forward, we're 25 years in. I've been on several stations, survived all kinds of crazy stuff that, you know, corporate decisions and whatnot. But through that and through City Stages and through my specialty show, uh, got to know 
guy named Don Van Cleve, who's a manager with Red Light now, but who was a owner in the independent record store here in town called Magic Platter at the time and was elected to run a group of independent music stores um, as a marketing company called the Coalition of Independent Music Stores. So it was a group of some of the best indie stores in, in the country, and they got together to help get more ad dollars out of the labels. Um, instead of the labels having to call 40 different accounts, they called one person. There were programs within the marketing group. They made, they wrote one check and then Sims funneled it all out to the stores and got everything to the stores they needed to do the marketing program. And it created a network across the country where stores were pushing the same title and trying to break new artists. And it, it was very, uh, you know, at the time, it was it was pretty groundbreaking for the industry. Um, I would go to Don for for music because I knew he'd have a bucket of new stuff that wasn't out yet sitting behind his desk, and I'd go in once or twice a week and thumb through it and be like, "Oh, I want to check this out. I want to check this out." And then I'd put it on the air on Sundays, and things started popping. And we started between his store and the radio show and the radio station and a local TV station that was really into music, uh, Fox affiliate here, WBRC, they'd bring the band. If we had a band that was popping, the band come to town, they'd bring them and put them on the TV. Mm. And it, it was just the synergy for several years here in Birmingham. It, it took us from a market that wasn't known for breaking music to a, being a, a tastemaker market in very short amount of time. So I got through that relationship with Don, he ended up hiring me to run some of the marketing programs at the Coalition of Independent Music Store. And I did that for several years. And then after about a little less than 10 years, Don decided to get into management and get out of retail. He had sold his store a few years earlier, um, or he'd shut down his store a few years earlier um, to concentrate because we had gotten to a point where he couldn't run a store and run the group. And it just was the right thing to do at the time. And then he decided to leave. So I got switched in the new regime. I got moved over to Think Indie Distribution, which is a distribution company we had started a few years earlier as an answer to all the big boxes getting limited edition product and super and special product um, from artists that we had groomed over the years. You know, it's like, well, why are they getting this special piece? And the stores that have cared about them for 20 years or for 10 years or for two years aren't getting the special piece. So we started going to the bands and the labels and saying, all right, Hey, we want to work. We want our own piece. Um, and that's how think Indie was born. And Don and Andrea Pascal did a and R for the first few years. I mean, we all pitched in where we could, but Don was the, he was running it. Um, he, he was definitely the spearhead for it. And when he left, they were like, okay, we want you to head up a and R for think Indie." So, <laughs> I got my specialty show going on Sunday mornings. I'm suddenly I'm doing marketing for a group of independent record stores. All of a sudden I'm doing A&R. I moved from marketing to A&R for the independent distribution company. And about the same time, the morning show host at the radio station I was on, it was a AAA station here in town that was around for three or four years. The morning show host father got sick and the, PD called me and said, Hey, can you fill in for a couple of weeks in the morning while he goes and takes care of his dad? I was like, yeah, I can get up early for a couple of weeks and do that. Uh, he never came back. <laughs> he, he stayed home. And so it's like, okay, uh, 
what are you, what, what are you doing here? He's like, well, why don't you keep doing the morning show? And that was 2008 and it's almost 2022 and I'm still doing, still getting up at four 30 and on the air at six to 10 AM Monday through Friday and <laughs> still doing the uh, Sunday show from 10 AM to 2 PM, the new music show and still doing distribution. And so that's, those are the, the hats I wear. It's all right. All right. radio all right. hat, independent distribution hat. And uh, you know, just, I'm lucky, man. I, I, I get to live in Birmingham. I never thought I could work in the music business in Birmingham. And I get, I got to do it before you could work in the business wherever you wanted to work in the business. I mean, you, you know, you've moved around now that technology's made it possible to live anywhere and still be in the business. Uh, I was able to do that, be where I wanted to be beforehand. And I'm still able to sit here and, and do that. And, you know, I don't know what the future holds. Uh, radio stations have come and gone, but somehow my show has stayed on the air and the current station I'm on Birmingham mountain radio. We started as an internet only station back in 2010 Within two years, we were doing sales on par with some of the the terrestrial radio stations in town. So they came knocking, going, hey, what if we gave you a signal? We ended up working with Summit Media, who we do a, a ad sales share with, and they give us a stick, and we, we share the advertising, and we still are independently owned. We still make all our music decisions, all of our programming decisions, all of our uh, uh, promotional decisions, and... They just give us a team of salesmen to go out and sell the ads. Uh, so it's it's been a really beneficial uh, relationship for both of us, and we'll we just we'll celebrate eleven years next week as a station, and nine years with a. We're still we still push the internet side. I mean, I, we were we were internet only station, so we don't shy away from that. I mean, it's been mentioned right next to the signal. Every time, you know, it's 107.3 FM Birmingham and bhammountainradio.com. There's a, there's a couple of things there I, I want to just tease out a little. One is um, it's pretty obvious that there's a, there's a common thread through a lot of the things you have your, your hands in, which have to do with, I, I, I'm going to say it poorly, but there's like a, a lack of dogmatism in terms of like, meeting the audience and meeting the consumer and meeting the fan where they are, instead of saying like, it's a digital world now. And that's the only way you're going to get what we do. Or we love physical so much. We're going to turn our back on the new stuff or, you know, there's it's, it's fascinating to me that it's almost the same exact story that you told around the music formats in the distribution business um, it's the same story in your broadcasting business, right? Like it's, it's, it, it's super interesting. Trust me. It's something that I, I've pondered so many times. It's like, how did I end up here? And how do these, how do both of my careers mirror each other so well? And it's, it's back to your dogma. Is it, it maybe it's kismet. I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's, there's, there's just, there's people out there and, and I refuse to say, well, you know, it's a, it's a generational thing. I know just as many young folks that listen to my radio shows as I do folks my age and older. I mean, it's, and I think part of it is the music that we play and the music that we concentrate on and the programming. I mean, we have, we're a, we're a commercial radio station that acts more like a non-commercial radio station. We've got a dozen specialty programs that everything from, from a, a 80s dance kind of 
show on Friday nights to a locals only show on Sunday nights uh, to a alternative new music show on Sunday nights to a all only a show called the she show. That's all female artists uh, on Wednesday nights and, and, and then some, I mean, I can, can go on and on, you know, I got my show, which like I said, is a new music show, but it's kind of a Sunday chill out show. And um, been fortunate people, you know, I tell you all the time, I'm a conduit, you know, it's not about me. And I know my name's on it, but that's because we couldn't come up with a name. And we just finally were like, let's just call it Reg's Coffee House. Well, yeah. um, the other but, thing though, it's, it's super interesting is that there's no, like new can be good. New can be bad. Mm-hmm. Old could be good. Old could be bad. Like it, there's not like this, this fetishization of anything, like just because it's old doesn't have to give it some mystical power, but it also doesn't mean we dismiss it. Right. I, some of my favorite times over the years, I can remember one time in particular, I was playing an old Bonnie Raitt tune from, I think a 1972 album of hers, uh, Get Up, um, but a song called Love Has No Pride, which is just, just a beautiful song. And I was playing it one morning and phone started lighting up. It's like, is this new Cheryl Crow? Well, who is this? What is this? And it's like, no, actually, this is a song that's 20 something years old that you've never heard before. It, it takes me back to the old NBC tagline of if you hadn't seen it, it's new to you. Well, if you hadn't heard it, it's new to you. Yeah. Um, so old new music, old music can be new music. Um, and if it's presented in a format where people are actually expecting new music, then it's even more surprising to them when you say, no, that's, that's uh, from decades ago, but it still holds up, doesn't it? It's still, you know, I light up every time I, I put on a, a song from the 60s or the 70s and it bumps up against something that came out last week and yeah. they work so well right next to each other. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's got a language of its own, you know? Um, so it's, it's fun. It's fun to see my kid, get excited about something that I was excited about when I was their age, you know, and it's fun to see the two of us, me get excited about something that they, that's their generation, you know, it's, it, it, it's that community and that culture and that connection that, that humans live for, you know, we're, we're, we're social animals and that helps the socializing, yeah. you know, is what you've been a part of building, do you think there's an element to it that's unique to the melting pot or whatever you want to, whatever bad metaphor, is it unique to Birmingham or have you built something there? Are the elements that came together um, something that can be a model for other places? I don't think it's unique to Birmingham. I will say this, you know, before I had the radio show, but when I was helping program the festival and I could always see that there was a group of music lovers that would rally around something like what I was doing. You, you just could see it at the time. There was a, a little magazine called the leak that came out of Birmingham's little fanzine and it had a CD in it and it was 13 songs a month and you subscribed to it. And it was, it, it, I saw the people that got it and how they loved it. And I was like, okay, that's a physical version of what I'd like to do in the radio medium. And so I would actually use the leak CDs sometimes for some of the artists that I was playing in the early days of the show. You know, I'd pull them off of, of that. Um, I don't think that it's something that's just 
Birmingham centric. I think it's, it's music lover centric and there's music lovers in every city and every state and every area of the country. Um, I mean, I have listeners in, in across the globe. I hear from people from the Philippines. I hear from people over in Europe, you know, That's neat. Um, they've heard about the show or that, you know, somebody from the States has moved there and turned them on to it. Uh, and then with the internet, I mean, we all know how that that's everybody's local. So it's cool. That's something I love about this is when people, I get yeah. a random, you know, message from somebody that says, Oh my God, I heard your conversation with so-and-so. And I'm like, wait a minute. How did you hear that? Yep. Oh yeah. I put it out there <laughs> and, yep. and you happen yep. to receive it. <laughs> um, I think if anything, it's, it's, I get tired of the people who are trying to act like it doesn't exist. Like it's, the, or does it need to, in today's world, this is not something that needs to be, you know, we've, we've, we're past that. That's your archaic, you know, it's, it's there's no reason for you to be doing that. It's like, as long as people want it, then why would you say that? And can't we both, can't, can't both worlds exist at the same time? I mean, you know, I stream plenty of music, but I also listen to plenty of physical music and it doesn't affect how I feel about either. It doesn't make you a bad person. <laughs> I had, I was, I was, I was at, at a luncheon yesterday and uh, the person who was telling, who was talking to me, she it was almost like she was embarrassed to say it. She's like, I'm one of those people that doesn't have satellite radio. And I was like, I know you won't believe this, but there's a lot of people like you that don't have satellite radio. She's like, I listen to local radio. That's all I have in my vehicle. And I don't like to listen to my phone in my vehicle. And um, I was like, Hey, I love you. I was like, but it's okay. You know, if you, if you want to do the other things, and you, uh, but I'm glad that you like, and now we haven't talked about this. And this comes back to your last question. My entire career, I have always seen the importance of, diversification and localization. It was one of that, that TV station I mentioned earlier, the GM there was all about diversifying what they had on the air and every chance he got, he localized it as much as possible and in a world. And, you know, fast forward 20 years where it's become so much more global and, and nebulous, people still want to know what's going on in their backyard. And they still want to feel that connection to their community, whether they live in the community or they lived in the community. I hear from people all the time who've moved out of Birmingham, but still listen to Birmingham Mountain Radio because they want to know what's going on back home and they want to know what's hot back home. You know, and I'm, I'm sure they listen to, to and watch stuff in their own in their new communities, too. But that that local element, you know, if it's your home, it's where you live, you're going to want to be attached to it. And then the diversification part of it has become even more important because everything's gotten so splintered. It's crazy not to, to, you know, why would you play the same hundred songs on a radio station? I don't get it because everybody can go anywhere they want to hear thousands and thousands of songs and whatever they want. They can make their own Spotify radio station playlist, you know? Um, so it behooves you, in my opinion, to give them more options and not, you know, and not just treat them like they can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and listen, I, the, because it would be a derelict of duty to not go there at the end of the day, these it's a humanization and it's, it's important to, uh, you know, the culture, the country, like it's not trivial. You know, these, these are the things oh. that keep people, um, less alienated, um, you know, uh, less fearful, less distrustful. Um, 
it's really hard to hate somebody that um that you share a cultural cultural interest with um it doesn't mean it erases all differences but that's not the goal either (laughs) right Um, it's just a coming together it's a it's an opportunity to um to yeah it's just an opportunity to come together and to and to and to and to counter a lot of the um a lot of the underside of all the amazing things we get through modernization. I, I love being able to stream music. You know, I drive a 30 year old car and I have a Bluetooth receiver in it. Like that's, I I am the living embodiment of what you just said in that regard. And that's a phenomenal way to listen to music. And to, to your point to that, this little box gives me everything in the known universe musically. And then I come in the house and I have, my record collection. It's just, it's, you can have both. You should have, you should have it all. You should have it all because there's a use case for all the different scenarios. Variety is the spice of life, right? Exactly. <laughs> it holds true to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> um, I, I appreciate you, you making time to talk. Man, um, it's good to see your face and hear your voice. It's been way too long. I always enjoyed working with you over the years and uh, I'm just glad we're both still doing it and both still loving it. And life is, uh, is, is, obviously treating us as well as it can right now. So enjoy it while we can. Thank you so much, Scott Register. Thank you, Ann Taylor and the team at Light. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, and even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. If you like what we're up to here, Please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Join us again next week. In the meantime, be safe and stay in touch. And I'll be here.